Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome. He says, I beseech you, or I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Hallelujah. And so tonight we continue on with part four of our lesson entitled Transformed, Not Conformed, as we are going through this series that we have entitled Understanding Separation. Understanding Separation. Let's put our Bibles down, lift our voices, lift our hands. Let's talk to the Lord. Let's ask Him to speak to our hearts. Let's ask Him for His touch here tonight. I need His touch. Let's everybody talk to Him together right now. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Let's praise him one more time, everyone. Before you're seated, let's give God some praise. Hallelujah. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Let me see if I can quickly get through some review here tonight and then get into the new material so that we can indeed try to finish this lesson. Uh, we have been talking in this lesson about the sin problem. We have dealt with the fact that there is a battle that rages between the flesh and the spirit. The Apostle Paul really outlines that. He deals with it in detail in the seventh chapter of his epistle to Rome. Uh, he lets us know that if we don't crucify the flesh, if we give in to the flesh, it's ultimately going to end in death. And so he tells us, do not be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed. Don't be conformed. We talked about that word conformed and how that it really means a resemblance to the external fashion. That's what the word really means in its literal sense. Uh, don't try to look like the world. Don't try to resemble the world. Whether it's in your apparel, your appearance, your attitude. Don't try to follow the fads and fashions of this world. 
But he doesn't stop with just saying what not to do. He goes on telling us what to do. And that is, while we should not be conformed, we should be transformed. Transformed. And we've talked about that uh, in this lesson. We've talked about how it comes from the Greek word from which we get our word metamorphosis. And that is the idea. It is a total change. A radical change. A departure from all that was to become something new. That's what has to happen in our lives. We have to be transformed. Now we're going to talk more about that tonight, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. Uh, we have talked about the three principal forces that oppose us, the world, the flesh, the devil. We spent some time talking about how that the devil dominates the world. He's called the God of this world. The world caters to the flesh. And the flesh is what really ultimately brings us down. And so the key to victory in our walk with God is to crucify our flesh. To die out to our carnal nature. This is it. This is, this is as simple as an answer as you're going to get anywhere at any time. You want to know how to be successful living for God? It's this simple. Crucify your flesh. Now, that's a simple answer, not a simple task. That is one of those things that's truly easier to say than to do. But it's got to be done. And if you're going to be successful living for God, you're going to have to do it. You can't just give in to every whim of your flesh. you got to tell the flesh no. And you're going to have to do it frequently. And so we also talked about the elements of this world. John, 1 John 2.16 uh, the world, all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We talked about that, even spent a little extra time on that last week. The dangers of pride. Um, we talked about how that there can be no fellowship between light and darkness. The two do not mix. There is a distinction and a differentiation a delineation that comes between light and darkness. And so the church has to have that same line of demarcation between us and the world. We can't just blend in. We've got to be distinct from the world. And if we will, if we will separate ourselves, if we will live a separate life, it will bring victory, it will bring power, it will bring joy in the presence of the Lord. Amen. And so we, we want to continue on. I really didn't finish that whole thought last week, but, but uh, we're going to continue on. I told you it was going to be a, a brief review, and, and that's about as brief as I've ever done probably. But, but um, I got ground I want to cover tonight, so. Uh, if you need to go back and listen to the previous lessons, you can find them on our website. Feel free to go back and listen. I just don't have time to recover all of that. But I want to say this, that living close to the world is an extremely 
dangerous situation for a child of God. The closer you are to the world, the stronger its pull on you. Now look, this is just a simple law of gravity. It, it's, it's one of the basic laws of physics. That the closer you are to an object, the greater its gravitational pull on you. And we cannot fool ourselves into thinking that, the, that, that this same principle does not affect us when it comes to our proximity to the world. Even though I'm finding a whole lot of Christians and sadly more and more one God apostolics who want to get closer and closer to the world and they think that they can still live for God successfully, you can't do it. There is a pull, there is an attraction, there is an allurement and the closer you get to the world, the more it's going to pull on you. This is why. This is why there are times, and, and Brother Nelson mentioned this Sunday night, uh, but, but there are times that you literally have to break off friendships. Let me tell you, just, just some pastoral counsel here, all right? Let me tell you one way to know, uh, or, or maybe more than one, but a few ways to know when you need to end a friendship with somebody that's in the world. First and foremost is if they're having more impact on you than you're having on them. If you spend time with them and end up wanting to be more like them as a result, or you spend time with them and end up questioning your walk with God or your beliefs, or the scriptures, or whatever. It's time to break it off. The second is this, if you have to hide the fact that you're a Christian, or hide the fact that you're an apostolic. If you've got to keep that under wraps, you don't need to keep that friendship. If they can't accept you as an apostolic, it's time to move on, my friend. I know we've got to try to win them, and we should try to win them. But I'm going to tell you, you're not going to win them by trying to, to, to be a stealth apostolic, an undercover apostolic. You're not going to win anybody that way. How can you win them that way if they don't even know there's a difference? There'll be nothing to win them to. They've got to see that there's a difference before there can be a desire for them to change. Look, this is just simple, church. This is not complicated. I was told of a, of a woman one time, she was bragging about the fact that even after she was married and had kids, she decided to go back to college, and she bragged to people. She said, nobody in that college knows that I'm apostolic, and I'm loving every minute of it. There's something dreadfully wrong with that kind of spirit and attitude. Now, obviously, when you first enroll or you first show up somewhere, you don't have a badge on. We're not Mormons. 
We don't, we don't put elder so-and-so, you know. But I'm going to tell you, you shouldn't be there very long before they notice there's a difference. A difference in how you behave, a difference in how you carry yourself, a difference in how you look, a difference in how you respond. They need to know you are different. You don't need to hide it. Well, I might lose them as a friend. Listen, if they're not going to be your friend as an apostolic, you don't need them as your friend. Because do you realize what that means? If they don't want to be your friend as an apostolic, that means they will actively work to get you to quit being an apostolic. Best thing you can do is to make it known. First through your lifestyle, not through preaching. Live it in front of them. But don't hide it. And when questions come, don't be embarrassed to answer them. Oh, I feel this tonight. Don't be ashamed of who you are. God chose you. Very few people in this world know this one God, Jesus' name, apostolic truth. But God chose to reveal it to you. Now, why would you be ashamed of that? And why would you want to hide it? You're not like everybody else. You're not a Baptist. You're not a Methodist. You're not a charismatic. You're a one God Jesus name apostolic. Wear it proudly. God bestowed this honor on you by calling you out of darkness into this marvelous light. You ought to walk like you feel honored. You ought to live like you feel honored. You ought to let God and let the world and let the devil know it's a privilege to live the way I live. Oh, hallelujah. Well, I feel this tonight. I feel like I'm hitting a target here somewhere. Somebody needs to hear what I'm saying right now. Amen. You, you try to live too closely to the world. and You're going to find yourself being drugged down into the quicksand of evil desires. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye can become too strong for a weak believer. And they can be swept back into a life of sin. And the pride of life, I talked about this last week, but it's a danger to every one of us. I don't care how long you've been living for God. In fact, I've watched people in the last years of their lives get caught up in pride. That's right. They've lived a life, they've lived a good life, an exemplary life, and all of a sudden, they've reached a place I can't take a chance on being wrong or anyone thinking I'm wrong, and they become too proud to admit mistakes. And I've watched people make some terrible, terrible choices. 
and then be too proud to admit it was a bad choice. God help us. God help us. Look, you can't play with fire and not get burnt. And you can't flirt with the things that cater to the lust of the flesh without being overtaken by sin. Just ask Samson. He wanted to keep laying in the lap of that prostitute. I don't know how he could be so. I don't even know what word to use because he wasn't a stupid man. And he wasn't really an ignorant man. I don't know. I don't know what happened to him. But it seemed like to me the first time she said, tell me why you're so strong. Now, you know, I understand the young man being all Google-eyed and saying he's in love and you know she's playing that if you love me you'd tell me card. And I, I can kind of understand him giving in the first time. But as soon as she tried that on him, I'd have said, Up, we're done. Not falling for that again, but not Samson. Samson thought. That because he was physically strong, he was also emotionally and spiritually strong. And he thought he could play with fire and not get burnt. But look at the end of his life. Look at where it put him before it was all over with. Because he just kept hanging around. He kept going back. He kept going back. He kept going back. And every time he'd get closer and closer to telling her the truth. And in the end, it cost him his eyesight. But it cost him far more than that because it cost him his relationship with God. The Bible said he wist not that the Lord had departed from him. That's worse than losing your eyesight. Now God had mercy on him. And this is, this is why I believe, this is why I used to wonder why in the world is this man listed in the hall of faith. I mean his life is a disaster. Look, look. Getting his hair cut was not the first time he broke his Nazarite vow. He'd broken it several times. Go back and read the story. You're not supposed to touch anything that's dead. Where did he get water from when he was thirsty? God hollowed out a place in the jaw of Jawbone of a donkey. And he picked it up and drank. And then used that donkey's jawbone to slay a thousand Philistines. And he wasn't supposed to be touching anything that's dead. But God had mercy. Where did he get the honey from? The carcass of a dead lion. You're not supposed to touch anything dead when you're a Nazarite.
He'd been playing around with that Nazarite vow for a long time. And I, I used to think, Brother Nelson, why is this dude in the hall of faith? How does he deserve a spot with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Noah? And then it dawned on me. Hebrews 11 says this. These all died in faith. See, Samson didn't live in faith. But he did die in faith. In that final moment, after he'd been abused by the Philistines for years, and that little lad took him out there and he said, Let me feel the pillars of the temple. He got his arms around those pillars. For the first time in Samson's life, we read, he cried out to God. He finally prayed. It finally dawned on him somewhere through all of those years, he wasn't strong because he was a strong man. He was only strong because God had given him supernatural strength. That's something he never realized. Oh, I know he said it. He said to Delilah, I'll be as any other man. That's what he said, but he didn't believe it. Because when she cut his hair off, you can't tell me he woke up from that nap bald-headed and didn't know all that hair was gone when it had been growing all his life. Had never been cut all of his life. You can't tell me he didn't know his head had been shaved. But you know what he said? I'll shake myself as at other times. I'll go out as at other times. He didn't believe he was going to be like any other man. Oh, he'd been told that, but he didn't believe it. And he wished not. He didn't even know that God had departed from him. But I can promise you somewhere... When he's down there grinding and they're making an animal out of him and they're bringing him in to laugh at him and to mock him, somewhere along the way, it finally started clicking in that cranium of his. Hey, you know what? I wasn't strong because I'd worked out and lifted weights. And the only reason I was able to do what I did is because God helped me and he's not helping me now. And so in that final moment when he gripped the pillars of that temple, he cried out to God. And he said, Lord, would you just this one last time. Just this one last time help me. And avenge me now of my eyes. And God heard his cry. And God came to his rescue. And Samson died in faith. That's taking a big chance to wait until you're, until you're bound and blind. Think then I'm going to cry out to God and God's going to help me. Because there's a whole lot of folks that don't ever get that chance. A whole lot of folks whose lives end much sooner 
than they expected. And they aren't able to pray that one final prayer to get them back right with God. Well, I didn't intend to get into all that tonight. But here we are. The physical law of gravity states that two objects attract each other inversely, proportional to the square of the distance between their centers. How's that for a science lesson? Does anybody know what that means? It, it means, very simply put, it means this. The closer two objects are, the greater the attraction. That's what it means. The closer the two objects are, the greater the attraction. And so I'm here to tell you that, that spiritually, the closer that you live to the world, the more you are attracted by the world, and the stronger you're going to find the world pulling on you. It's a law. It's going to happen. Well, we need to get as far from the world as we can. I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again, and it will be included in my book. But uh, I'd, I'd read a story many years ago about a man who, uh, who had advertised for a coachman to drive his wife and family. Several applicants appeared and each one had to go through the same test. Nearby where this man lived, the road ran along the top of a steep cliff. And each prospective coachman was told that he was to drive the horses that were pulling that, that coach. Guide them as close to the edge of the cliff as he felt comfortable without, of course, falling off. And the man said, I want to see because you're going to be traveling some narrow roads and I want to see, can you handle this and how do you handle this? And so one by one, they would get up on the, the, the seat of that, of that coach and they would pick up the reins and they would guide the horses as close to the edge as they felt comfortable. Each one trying to, to hopefully outdo the other until finally a young man found it his turn and he climbed into the driver's seat and he took those horses and he got as far away from that cliff as he could get. The man that was hiring looked at him and he said, you got the job. You see, this man was going to trust his employee with the life of his wife and his children. And he didn't want somebody that would take big risks. He wanted somebody that would stay far from it. And I'm going to tell you, this is a good policy for Christians. We don't need to see how close we can get to the world and still live for God. Many, many years ago, another place, another time, another city, another state. 
I got a phone call from a man. He said, look, I, I run a prison ministry. And he said, I, I've had a man pray through in prison. He's being released. And he's, he's from your city, and he's coming back. He's going to be attending your church. And he said, um, he said this guy's going to be the best saint you ever had. Okay, well, that's saying a lot. Um, I'd love for it to be true. But I've pastored some really good saints in my life. And um, that's what the man told me. He's going to be the best saint you ever had. So this man shows up. He comes to one or two services, and one day after service, he comes up to me and he said, You know, he said, I thought I would just see just how strong this Holy Ghost is. I said, Oh, really? He said, Yeah. He said, I went to the bar last night. He said, you know, it worked really good. He said, all I did was just drink some Coke. I didn't have anything alcoholic. He said, man, it, you know, the whole, I said, don't do that. Don't do that. Stay away. Oh, no, no, no. The Holy Ghost is strong enough to keep me. Well, I think it only took one more trip back to the bar. And that Holy Ghost wasn't keeping him anymore. And it didn't take long till he was not only drinking, he was back on drugs. Look, you can't, you can't, you can't stay close to the world and live for God. Why? Why would you want to go to a party where alcohol is free, where drugs are being packed? Why would you even want to show your face at such a place like that? Well, I'm strong enough, I can handle it. You just think you are. But I'm going to tell you, that's what the devil wants you to believe. And what are you going to do when they drop something in your Coke? And don't think they won't. Oh, my friends would never do that. Well, I'm going to tell you, they're not really your friends if they're inviting you to that place anyhow. And even if they are, you don't need friends like that. Listen, you need to have friends right here in the house of God. You ought to make friends right here. This is the safest place for you to find friends. Oh, I know these people are not perfect, but I'll tell you what, every one of us are trying. We're striving to try to be saved. This is the best place to find friends. Concerned when people have more friends in the world than they do in the church. Now, a new convert, I understand, takes time to make friends. But after you've been in church for just a little while, you really ought to start seeing that you just don't have anything in common with those people. What is there to talk about? We can't talk about the latest movies. At least I hope you can't. We, we, we can't talk about the latest sports stats. We can't discuss the latest Hollywood fads or the most recent rock album or country western album or rap album or pop album. How far do I need to go? That'll be another lesson one night. We'll get to that. 
So what are you going to talk about? Let's talk about Jesus. You know what's going to happen? Same thing that just happened just then. Everybody's going to be quiet. (laughs) Try it and see. And if you can't talk about Jesus with these people, what do you have in common with them? What do you have in common? We need to get as far away from this world as we can. There is safety in putting distance between us and temptation. You know, the Apostle Paul said, flee fornication. The smallest sin in the Bible. Some of you will catch that later. Flee, flee fornication. You know, it's just not as funny when you have to explain it. You still hadn't caught it. Oh, you got it. All right, all right, all right. Now, the Bible says flee fornication. And, and listen, that's exactly what Joseph did. Potiphar, Potiphar's wife comes in, tries to entice him. You know what he does? He said, if I have to, I'll leave my coat here, but I'm getting out of here. I'm not sticking around. I'm not going to stay here and try to talk my way out of this. I'm not going to try to reason my way out of this. This is a bad situation. I don't need to be here. I'm getting out as fast as I can get out. Flee. That means run for your life. And we need to do that with everything that has an allure upon us. Run from it. Get away from it. As quickly and as definitively as you can. Galatians 2 and 20. One of my favorite verses. I am crucified with Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. This is the key to victory, my friends. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. But Christ liveth in me. And the, the life, life which I, I now live, live in, the the li- in the flesh, I, I live, live by the by faith of the Son of God, God who, who loved, me loved me and gave himself, himself for me. me. This is how I live. I crucify myself and I let Christ live through me. Why people say, I can't live that Christian life. I can't either. But can Christ live it? Yeah. So why don't you let him live through you? You let him live through you and you can do it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we, we talked in the very first lesson about the command that we be not conformed but rather be transformed. And we discussed how the word transformed means to undergo a total And complete change of nature. I want us to go back and look at that verse again. Because I want to talk to you about this from another perspective as well. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. And be not conformed to this world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, he said, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. I will say be transformed. I don't know how many of you will remember this. It was, I, I think it may have even been during COVID. I don't know. Um, it, it's been a few years back. It's been probably three years, maybe more. I should have looked. Uh, I got up and taught one night from this verse of Scripture. But I did it based on a dream I had had. And um, it, it was an unusual dream. Because I dreamed that I was on my way to the platform to preach. And I, I think it was Brother Goff that was standing there. And I, as I was on my way up, I said, I'm going to be preaching about being transformed tonight. Whoever it was that was standing there said, you need to look up the word transformed. in, And, and then they gave me some verse. And... And, and that's all I remembered about the dream. And so I woke up and I thought, well, that's really unusual. And I wonder where it was I was supposed to look it up. All I could remember was that there was an 11 in it somewhere. And so I thought, well, you know, this, this other verse is Romans 12 and 2. Maybe it's Romans 12, 11. Well, it wasn't that. Maybe it's the 11th chapter of Romans and it wasn't that. So I, I started searching to see, okay, was this dream even from God? Why? What, what was this all about? And, and so then I finally got out the concordance, which I should have done first, I guess. But looked up the word transform. And lo and behold, it only appears in one other passage in the Bible. And it appears in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And so let's read. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, we're going to read verses 13 through 15. The word transformed appears twice in this passage. Um, well... Transformed appears once and transforming appears the second time. Same base, root word, you understand. So, so let's read 2 Corinthians 11 verses 13 through 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves. All right, now, now, transforming themselves. Into the apostles of Christ. Uh-huh. And no marvel. For Satan himself is transformed, is transformed into, an angel, of into light. an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed, transformed. as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their work. So, so the word transformed appears twice in these verses, and transforming appears once. Only other place in the Bible that this word is used. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. But you need to know, when I got to looking at this, it's interesting that though the King James uses transform, that's not, it, it's not the same Greek word. So when, when Romans 12 says, be transformed, that's one Greek word, and we talked about that. That's from the 
the word metamorphosis, or the word from which we get metamorphosis. But that's not the word that's used in 2 Corinthians 11. This is a totally different Greek word. With a totally different meaning. In Romans chapter 12 verse 2, you've got the Greek word metamorpho. There'll be a test on this when I get through. Okay. 2 Corinthians 11 verses 13 through 15 uses a different Greek word, metaschismatizo. You already failed. <laughs> now, metamorpho, of course, is where we get metamorphosis, complete transformation in the form and the structure, the substance of an organism or a life form, such as when a tadpole becomes a frog or a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. But metaschematizo means to disguise. In other words, it outwardly appears to have changed. But it's only outward. It's nothing more than a change in appearance. It is not a change in nature. So read those verses again. 2 Corinthians 11 verses 13 to 15. Understanding we're not talking about a transformation here. We're talking about putting on a disguise. Now read it again. For such are false apostles. They're false apostles. Deceitful workers. Deceitful workers. Transforming themselves. Disguising themselves into, into the, apostles the apostles of Christ. Of Christ. And no marvel. No marvel. For Satan himself is Satan himself is disguised into an angel as an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great Therefore, thing. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, if his ministers also, also be, transformed be disguised as the ministers, as of, the righteousness, ministers of righteousness. Whose end shall be according to their works. Now, do you understand the significant difference between the two? Paul doesn't say, don't be conformed to the world, but be disguised as a Christian. Right. He says, be transformed. Be changed. Let there be a total, a, a total rearranging of your nature, your character. But when he talks about false apostles and demons, he says all they're doing is putting on a disguise. I'm going to tell you, saints, we don't need people disguised as apostolics. This is one of the problems that I find all across the conservative movement. People get so hung up on the outward appearance. That's all they want to dwell on. All they want to dwell on. And you know what they end up with? They end up with people wearing a disguise. They're still just as corrupt on the inside. They're still liars. They're still gossips. They're still fornicators. There's all kinds of ungodliness going on. But they've got the disguise on. And so the pastor's happy. Because everybody's wearing the disguise. Now you know. In fact, we started this whole series. We're going to be talking about holiness. And you know I believe in holiness standards. And I believe in dressing right. 
But the problem is when all you're doing is trying to dress right and you're not trying to be right. You, you need to learn the difference between transformation and disguise. Because there are too many people sitting on apostolic pews that are simply wearing an apostolic disguise. Well, the whole purpose of the disguise, the transforming that, that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 11, the whole purpose of that is to deceive others. Right? That's why these men are dressing up like apostles. That's why these men are presenting themselves as apostles. They want to deceive you into believing that that's who they are. That's why the devil dresses himself up as an angel of light. Because he wants to deceive you into believing that's what he is. It's all about deception. And listen to me. That's the same thing that's going on in apostolic churches. They want to deceive the pastor into believing they got everything taken care of. They want to deceive the other people into thinking everything's all right in my life. So they put on the disguise. But there's never been a transformation. There's never been a change. And let me tell you, I don't care how much you try to dress the devil up as an angel of light. He is not an angel of light. He is an agent of darkness. God is the source of light. And the devil has nothing to do with God. He is the personification of darkness. In fact, the Apostle Paul refers to those that are lost as being the children of darkness. I'm going to tell you, you can take children of darkness and put on the clothing of the children of the light. But they're still children of darkness. You know, I've, I've, I had a man, he was a good man. He was a good man many years ago. Good man. But, but it just, it would frustrate him. And he would, he would tell sinner women, you shouldn't be wearing pants. And I try to tell him, brother, what, what good are you doing? If she quits wearing pants and wears a dress for the rest of her life, she's still lost. Until she repents, receives the Holy Ghost, is baptized in Jesus' name, I don't care if she never wears another pair of pants. She's lost. Getting her to dress like an apostolic doesn't save her. Look, if the clothing saves, then we don't stand a chance compared to the Amish. Clothing doesn't save us. But if you're saved, you're going to clothe yourself right. You understand the difference? There's a big difference. But there's not enough going on. I, I'm, 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 and I'm not trying to throw stones at anybody and I'm certainly not trying to pat myself on the back that I'm the only person doing it right. I'm just telling you, I'm concerned. And I have a right to be concerned. At 63 years old, I have a right. I've earned this right. To be concerned with what I see going on in the world. 
I get to be a grumpy old man now. Don't try to get in my way. This is my privilege. I've waited a long time to reach this age. It's taken me 63 years to get here. I'm telling you, I'm concerned about the apostolic movement. Because on one hand, you've got a bunch of people who are just trying to be as close to the world as they can. And on the other hand, you've got a a lot of people that just want to dress the part. But their spirits are nasty. They're arrogant. They're full of pride. They're judgmental. I'm telling you the truth. God help us to find that place in the middle of all of that. Help us to get the right inside and out. And that's Paul said that's perfect holiness. Perfecting holiness, he said, is cleansing ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. So you've got some that want to claim, well, we've got a right spirit. We don't have to dress that way. And you've got others that say, well, we're, we're dressing right, but their spirit is wrong. We've got to have both. This is what true balance is all about. And it's not It's not compromise to say we want to live a balanced life. Or I want to be a balanced preacher. That's not compromise. We've got to strike that balance. We've got to find some level ground. There are ditches on both sides of the road. And I don't want to fall into either one of them. So there are far, far too many apostolics that try to transform themselves by adhering to a standard or obeying a mandate. Standards are necessary, but we've got to go beyond simple adherence. If if that's all we have, then you know what we're going to do? We're going to do exactly like I've seen a lot of people do. Well, well, I mean, how much difference does a half an inch make? And we spend our lives trying to make sure we're just, we, we barely meet the minimums. But I'm doing what you said. No, no, no. If you've been transformed, then you're not trying to see what you can get by with. What's the least I can do and still be saved? What's the least I can do to keep the pastor from getting angry at me? What's the least I can do to end up being an object lesson in a sermon? 
I, I said it. I said it in the first lesson. I think I said it again in some of the subsequent parts to this. But you can glue legs on a tadpole, but that, and you can cut his tail off. Cut his tail off. Put legs on him. It does not turn him into a frog. You can cut a frog's legs off and glue a tail on him. It doesn't turn him into a tadpole. Can't do any of that with boys or girls either. Just threw that in free of charge. That's said it the other day. I say it again. You can't change the DNA. You can do all kinds of surgery, but you can't change the DNA. The DNA still says whether you're a boy or a girl. You can't change that fact. In fact, even the male and female skeleton is not the same. You're going to have a skeletal transplant too? I know some who need one, or at least they need a backbone. I don't know, they need something. That's Lord help me. I know some guys that need a wrist transplant. I Help me, Jesus. Might need some new hip. I, I've got to get. I've got to get back to my lesson. I got to get back to my lesson. You can glue legs on a tadpole, cut his tail off, does not make him a frog because it's still aquatic. It still breathes through its gills. It has to live in water. You can glue wings on a caterpillar. But that will not give it the ability to fly. It might look like a butterfly, but it hasn't gone through metamorphosis. And listen, that's the same way it is with people who, who only look the part. All they've done is, set, is glue a set of wings on their caterpillar self. You're not going anywhere. It's not going to work. There's got to be a transformation. Now again, I'm not telling you not to obey. I'm not telling you not to obey. Let's read 1 Samuel 15 verse 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey, to obey is, better than, is better than sacrifice. And to hearken, and to hearken than, the fat, than the fat of rams. So I, I, I can't stress enough. Obedience is necessary. But obedience alone will not work in the long term. Now if that's all you have, you're going to have to live with it for a while. But at some point, you'd really need to undergo a transformation. At some point, every child of God has to experience a genuine transformation that can only be accomplished by the power of the Spirit. 
I can't reason it into you. I can't talk it into you. I can't teach it into you. It can only happen when you spend some time at an altar. You, got, you, you start talking to God. You let God bring about the change. You let God pull the desires of the world out of your heart and put the desire for the things of God in their place. True transformation, not a disguise. A true transformation requires more than a change in appearance. Requires more than simply conforming. So read it again, Romans 12, 2. And be not conformed. Be not conformed. Be not conformed. But be ye transformed transformed. by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. Now this is what I wanted to get to. The renewing of your mind. That word renewing literally means a renovation. You know what a renovation is? Brother Jerry understands what a renovation is. Brother Nelson understands what a renovation is. Some of the rest of you understand what a renovation is. You're going to renovate something? If you renovate it, that doesn't just mean to go in and touch it up a little bit. If you renovate it, it's not just a new paint job. Well, hallelujah, you You renovate something. You completely overhaul it. And look at what he says. He says the way you're going to be transformed is through the renewing or the renovation or the overhaul of your mind. That way you're able to think in such a way that you seek to please God. That's how you can prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You're going to start knowing the will of God. Why? Because your mind's been renovated. You're not thinking the way you used to think. You don't see things the way you used to see them. Well, hallelujah. I'm nearly finished here, church. I promise you, I'm almost finished. But, but listen, we, we've got to get this. We've got to get a hold of this. Amen. There's got to be a renovation of our minds. The New International Version, uh, Re- International Reader's Version, uh, which is a little bit different than just the NIV, but the NIRV says, let your way of thinking be completely changed. Let your way of thinking be completely changed. Now, this is from Romans 12 and 2. Let's back up to Romans chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. I've got just, just two more passages of Scripture, and we'll be done. For to be so Romans chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. For to be carnally minded is death. For to be death. carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Right. Because the carnal mind the is, carnal enmity mind against God. is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Do you understand why Paul says in, in chapter 12 that you've got to have your mind renewed? Because this old mind we were born with is not subject to God's laws. And he said it cannot even be subject 
you can't force the carnal mind to submit itself to God. It won't work. So your mind's got to be totally renovated. You got to go in there and gut it. You got to go in there and take everything out and let God put everything new back in it. Now, you really want to understand verses 6 and 7. We're going to have to go back and read the context. And this is the final passage of the scripture here before I close tonight. But, but, but just open your Bibles. I want you to follow along with me. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Because we want to understand verses 6 and 7 in their context. So we're going to read, up to the verses, uh, read the verses up to them. Read the verses after them. So, so let's get this whole passage understanding what Paul is saying. Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. But after the spirit. Now watch this, because this is what he's dwelling on in this passage. You gotta learn to quit walking according to your flesh and start walking according to the spirit. Read. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Right. For what the law could not do. What the law could not do. And that it was weak through the flesh. Do you understand what he's saying? The law lays out, do not, do not, do not. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. But there's a problem. Because you try to obey the law with the power of your own flesh, it's not going to work. Yes. And so how did God fix that? God sending, God, his, own sending son his own son in the likeness, in the likeness of, sinful, of flesh sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness, that of, the the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, who not, after walk flesh, not after the flesh but after the spirit. But after the spirit. For they that, for are, they after the that flesh, are after the flesh do mind the, do things, mind of the, the things of the flesh. They that are after the spirit, they that are after the, spirit, the, things, of the, the spirit. things of the spirit. For to be carnally, for to be minded, carnally is minded is death. But to be do you see the context? Are you understanding the verse a little better? Read on. Because the carnal mind is enmity against it's God. It's enmity against God. For it is not it subject, is not to, subject to the law of God. Neither indeed it can cannot be. be subject to God's so law. Then, so then they that, so are, in they the that are in the flesh cannot please, cannot God. please God. But ye are not in the flesh. But you're not in the flesh. But in the spirit. You're in the spirit. If so be, if so be that the spirit, of God, that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man if have, any not, man the have Christ, not the spirit of Christ, he is none of, he his. Is none of his. Listen, if, if I could sum this whole thing up, I'm going to tell you the way we transform our mind is uh, the way we transform our, our mind from a carnal mind to a spiritual mind requires that we learn to quit walking according to our carnal flesh and start walking according to the will of the Spirit. We got to spend some time in the Spirit. We got to spend some time in prayer. We got to spend some time alone with Jesus. And the more we spend time with Him, the more He changes us into His image. And the more we become like Him, the less this world has a pull on us. And the closer we get to Him, the less we want the things of this world. It's a transformation. Oh, I feel this tonight. It's an absolute change about everything. I can't do it. I can't make you do it. I can't force you to do it. But the Spirit can bring, can bring about this kind of a change in your life if you'll spend enough time in the Spirit. Spend some time in the Spirit. Let's everybody stand. Musicians, come.
This, my friends, is how we are transformed. This is the answer. Learning to live in the Spirit. Learning to live by the will of the Spirit. This is what it's all about. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and talk to the Lord, everybody.